Thank you, Pastor Bruce. Please stand up if you would as you reach for your Bibles or the Bible in the pew there. And we are continuing in the series of Ruth where we will be reading this morning from chapter 1 of Ruth, verses 6 through 18. Again, Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 18. Again, this morning's message is entitled Finding Hope in a Disappointing World, focusing this morning on finding grace at the bottom of the barrel. So again, follow along again as I read in Ruth 1, verses 6 through 18. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? (laughs) Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, If I should say have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we sing praises to you this morning, acknowledging that you are our true and only God, and that our hope is found in your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Teach us this morning how we can find this hope in a disappointing world. Help us to receive this hope and share this with others, not holding this within, but letting others know of this fantastic hope that we have in you. How blessed we are, Father, to be in your house this morning, hearing from you directly as you have something personal for us. May it not just be another message, Father, but a message that you personally would speak to us about. Thank you, Father, for your grace and all your provisions you provide for us. In your name, amen. 
Well, as we've already said, we want to continue in this series in the book of Ruth that we're calling Finding Hope in a Disappointing World. Some of you may remember the name Benjamin Franklin, and uh, he was the United States ambassador to France, and he occasionally attended the, what was called the Infidels Club. And you're like, what in the world is the Infidels Club? Well, it was a group of men that uh, basically uh, mocked the Bible, they kind of made fun of the Bible, and they, they spent their time... Uh, getting together and reading what were they considered these literary masterpieces uh, in history at that time. And so for his amusement, Benjamin Franklin announced that he found an ancient manuscript worthy of their consideration. We must hear it, they exclaimed. And so Benjamin Franklin then read to them the book of Ruth. Although he changed the name of the characters in the locale so it would not be recognized as a story from God's word. And when he was finished reading the story, the the group of men there, the hearers, they were just unanimous in their praise of this story. I mean, they just couldn't get over it. We have never heard anything like it, they said. It is one of the most amazing stories we have ever heard. You must tell us where you found such a story. Well, you can imagine Franklin's delight when he announced that it was a story from the Bible, the very object of their ridicule and disapproval. Now, I tell you that story to simply remind us that the book of Ruth here that we hold in our hands in God's Word, inspired God's Word, it is certainly a literary masterpiece. In fact, uh, most scholars who read the book of Ruth and they comment on it, it's on doubt they consider this one of the most unique and amazing stories ever to be written. And here we find it in the Word of God. But beyond that, it's so much more. This is a story we hold in our hands A wonderful story of God redeeming this character, this person by the name of Ruth. And we say, why would he do such a thing? He redeems Ruth in order that he could accomplish his purpose of redeeming people like you and I. One of the themes that we've looked at in this uh, book so far in the last few weeks is, is if we have saw that if you want to find hope in a disappointing world, then turn to the Lord. Why? Because if we have seen so far, God is always at work in the worst of times, even in the darkest times of our lives. Now, last Sunday we saw and we focused on the character of Naomi, and we saw that this was a lesson that Naomi uh, was learning the hard way. She didn't see this at, at first in her life. Uh, she was a, a, a grieving widow who felt like God had literally abandoned her. God had given up on her life. And, and after all, who could blame her for thinking like this a little bit? After a famine, the death of her husband, ten years later, the death of both of her sons, Naomi's heart is filled with grief and disappointment, which brings us to our principle, our truth that we want to hang on to, uh, that we looked at last Sunday and we want to finish up today, and that is this important principle that our response to disappointment in life will determine our walk with God. Our response to the disappointments in life will determine our walk with the Lord. Now, from this first chapter in Ruth, we discover there are basically four ways in which we can respond to disappointments in life. Like Elimelech, who was uh, Naomi's husband, we can respond with disobedience. That's one option we have. Many people choose this road 
to nowhere, this option of disobedience, and they suffer the consequences for it. Or like Naomi, we can respond with despair. And this is what happens when we are in the midst of disappointment and we begin to emphasize our emptiness and our bitterness and we forget about God's graciousness and goodness which is at work in our lives. And so we can respond like Elimelech with disobedience. We can respond like Naomi with despair. Today we want to focus on Ruth and Orpah and how they responded to their own disappointments in life as well. So imagine with me the scene. It's the scene that Randy read for us in the first chapter of Ruth. And what we have here in this scene is three grieving widows. And they are somewhere on the road between Moab and the land of Judah, Bethlehem. Naomi hears how God has visited his people in giving them bread. This famine is now over. And once again, there's food in the land of Judah. And Naomi hears about this. She hears of God's intervention, of God's gracious goodness work in the lives of his people. And so Naomi leaves Moab with her daughters-in-law, each of them with broken hearts and broken dreams, as we can only imagine. But while Bethlehem had once been Naomi's home, it was never Ruth and Orpah's home. So what should these two widows do? How should they respond? Should they go back to Moab? Or should they proceed in following Naomi back to Bethlehem? I mean, how will Ruth and Orpah respond to their disappointment and sorrow in life? And and what can we take away from their response? Because they respond in two totally different ways. Well, let's look at this. Our own response to disappointment in life. We have two options, too. Number one, like Orpah, we can respond with desertion. We can respond with desertion. Now, before we talk about Orpah, how many of you, you, and you know, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if you were to raise your hand, you would sheepishly maybe admit, uh, you know what, her her name kind of sounds familiar. Her her name kind of sounds like a a famous TV personality that is this multi- media mogul billionaire in our, in our culture today. How many that, that raised an interest? You've thought about that a little bit. You know who I'm talking about. Exactly. You're right, because Orpah is actually Oprah Winfrey's real name. I don't know how many of you knew that. Now, here's the story in her own words. I was born in rural Mississippi in 1954. I was born at home. There were uh, not a lot of educated people around, and my Aunt Ida chose my name from the Bible. So it went down as Orpah on my birth certificate, but people didn't know how to pronounce it. So they put the P before the R in every place else other than the birth certificate. So on the birth certificate is Orpah, but then it got translated to Oprah everywhere else I went. So here we are today. My name is Oprah Winfrey. So there you have it. Just I know For those curious minds out there, who were thinking, I know. So now back to our story. And Orpah started out with Naomi and Ruth on the road to Bethlehem. But she found it surprisingly easy to go back to the land of Moab. After all, Moab is where she had grown up. Moab was her home. Moab is is what she knew so well, whose people and whose gods still held so much 
attraction for her. And so Orpah lifted up her voice, and she wept and even kissed her mother-in-law, but she still went back to her people and to her gods. In fact, Orpah cries loudly with strong, weeping tears, but she still concluded, hey, the fields of Moab are far greener than the land of Israel. I'm going back. And so with tears in her eyes, Orpah responded with desertion. She turned her back on Naomi, and in doing so, she turned her back on Naomi's God. And incidentally, she is never mentioned again in the Scriptures. This is the last time we hear of her. So what do we take away from Orpah's response here? Well, Orpah certainly made the easy choice, that's for sure. She did the ordinary, and she chose the road back home. But in the process, she also chose the road to emptiness in her own life. And so Orpah shows us something here. Her her tears of desertion teach us a valuable lesson that we can learn even for today. Notice it in your notes, coming up on the screen. Orpah shows us that it's possible to hear of God's grace and yet turn our backs on God. Think about it. Orpah heard about God's grace at work just as Naomi heard that God had visited his people in giving them bread. And no doubt she probably heard this from Naomi herself. Orpah knew God's voice was speaking to her soul, and she started to leave Moab. She started on that road. But it is all too possible to start out on the road to Bethlehem and then go back to Moab. In this, we see that Orpah, when it comes to faith and trust in God, she turns her back on God and she returns home. Orpah shows us that it's possible to to shed, if we can call it, Orpah tears and do exactly as Orpah did. We can even have emotional and and moving experiences, all of which give the appearance that that person, or give the appearance that I'm following Christ. But tears are not the same thing as trust. You can hear about God's saving grace in Christ. You can even shed tears of remorse, but never truly repent of your sin and start following Christ as your Savior and Lord. Orpah shows us that it's possible to come so very close to trusting Christ and yet turn our backs on the Lord. And so, man, this brings up such a practical and an important question for us to answer here this morning, and it is, are you someone, even now, who is on the road to God? You're starting out, you're searching, your heart is open to the Lord and and what He offers to us in His grace and mercy through His Son, Jesus Christ. Are you someone who's on that road, on that journey, then listen to me, don't turn back. Don't go back to the land of Moab. Keep seeking Him and He will save you. Or perhaps you're, you can identify with this. You're, you're, you've had some kind of emotional experience in the past. But now, a year later, or five years later, or ten years later, whatever the case may be, when you look in the mirror and you look in your life, you don't see any real evidence that you're a child of God. Nothing's really changed for you. Listen, if that's kind of your story, if you were honest, listen, then turn to God and put your faith in Jesus Christ and start following Him once and for all. And 
Perhaps you're maybe asking, okay, well, what is the evidence of a child of God? How can I know that I'm a, a, a follower of Christ, that I'm a child of God? Listen to me. A follower of Christ, a true believer in Christ. Okay, and I'll just give you two right off the bat here. They know Christ as their Savior and Lord, and they are growing in their relationship with Christ. You want to measure your, your relationship with God, whether you're a child of God, you're a follower of Christ, just ask yourself, do I know Christ? Have I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and have I responded to it by faith? That's what it means to know Christ. And are you growing in Christ? That's what followers do. That's the measurements. And if you want more detail on that, all you got to do is go to the book of 1 John. And read through the book of 1 John. And it will tell you, it'll start listing. Here's how you know. Here's how you know. Here's how you know you're a believer in Christ. You're a child of God. You're a follower. Listen, true disciples, true followers of Christ, know Christ as your Savior and Lord because they've responded in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they are growing in their relationship with Christ. Now, if you want to learn more about growing in Christ, listen, let me invite you to come to our Grow 201 classes that are going on right now. We just started them last Wednesday night. It's a great opportunity uh, on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, 7 to 8, for you to come and be taught and learn, hey, here's what it means to grow. Here's some tools. Here's some practical things of growing in my relationship with the Lord. Ten sessions long. You missed the introduction. No big deal. We can catch you up on the notes. Come this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. I challenge you. You'll find out. Hey, here's how I can not only know Christ, but now grow in my relationship with the Lord. So, like Oprah, we can respond to disappointment with desertion. But please know that this is a road to emptiness. So how did Ruth respond? And we want to focus the rest of our time on her. Ruth. Like Ruth, we can respond with determination. A faith that is determined not to quit. We can respond with determination. Now, you've got to understand, Ruth was a nobody. Ruth was an outsider. A Moabite of all things. Listen, there was nothing kosher about Ruth here. In fact, she knew she would be about as welcome in Bethlehem as a ham sandwich at a bar mitzvah. All right? That's just being blunt about it. Conventional wisdom just shouted for Ruth to follow the way of Orpah and go back home to Moab. That's what seemed like the best way to find security and significance again in her life. Listen, she's a widow, a relatively young one. What are her best chances of remarriage? To go back home to her family and her gods and hopefully find a young Moabite man who will take her as a wife. And hopefully she can raise a family. That's what conventional wisdom told her to do. But Ruth was not Orpah, and there was nothing conventional about her. And so Ruth determined she would go with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And so we could say Ruth is standing at the proverbial fork in the road right now in her life. She's at a crisis. She's at a a crossroad, a, a decision point for her. And she has to determine, I can go back to Moab and worship the false god of Chemosh, Or I can go to Bethlehem and worship the one true living God, Jehovah. That is the essence of her choice right here. It comes down to that. 
And I would submit to you that this is a bold move by a young woman to go to Bethlehem. Do Hebrews like Moabites? No way. Absolutely not. This is the equivalent of a nice Jewish girl in the 1940s saying, whoa, I think there's a nice synagogue in Germany. I think I'll move there. What Ruth is doing, folks, listen to me, takes a lot of faith. In fact, I would submit to you, it is taking more faith than Abraham, greater faith than Abraham, because at least God spoke audibly to Abraham and told him what to do. So why would Ruth respond in this way? Why would she go against conventional wisdom and logic? What is she thinking in her mind? More importantly, what is going on in her heart? Well, what's going on in her heart, and this is so cool, is the grace of God is at work in her life. And she has come to trust in the God of Israel. The work of God's grace in Ruth's soul is so personal and so mysterious that not even Naomi can see it right now. And so while Orpah revealed her true heart by going back to Moab, the work of grace that was going on in Ruth's heart was so powerful that when Naomi said to her, go back, Ruth says to her, listen, I can't go back. When Naomi says, follow your sister-in-law and go back to your family and go back to your false gods, Ruth says, listen, I can't go back. Which is another mark of a true Christian, a true believer, a true follower of Christ. Listen, they can't go back. There is something within them by the power of the Holy Spirit that won't let them go back. There is something that compels them to follow after Christ no matter what conventional wisdom and thinking says. Against all odds. And so with tears in her eyes, Ruth responds to the work of God's grace with an act of commitment. And oh my, what an act it is. Notice this in your, on the screen. Her act of commitment. One little phrase here in God's word captures it. It says, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But what did Ruth do? Clung to her. Clung to her. This word clung, oh man, this is such a a powerful word. It it conveys the idea of, of faithful loyalty and deep affection. In fact, this is the same Hebrew word that is used in Genesis 2.24 to describe the bond between a husband and wife in marriage. But, get this, it is also used to describe the committed faithfulness which God desires of His people in response to His saving grace. In other words... What God is trying to communicate to us through Ruth's act of commitment is this. Just as Ruth clung to Naomi and wouldn't let go, and just as a husband and wife are supposed to cling to each other till death do them part, so we are to cling to the Lord for our hope and dependence and life, especially in response to our disappointment that God allows to come to our lives. 
cling, is to embrace, is, is to hold on so tight and not let go. That's the image here. And what a, what a great thought to ask ourselves, man, does that describe my relationship with the Lord today? Am I clinging to Him as my hope, as my joy, and as my satisfaction in life? And folks, listen to me. It's so, this word's so powerful. When you cling to the Lord, can you cling to anything else? No. And that's where the tension comes. That's where the struggle comes. Because what we try to do so often as believers in this culture, here in America especially, is we're trying to cling to the Lord. At the same time, we're trying to cling to the things in the world that we think are going to bring us joy and satisfaction and peace and you name it. You can't have your cake and eat it too, in a sense. You read the Gospels and Jesus talks all about it. If you're going to follow after me, deny yourself. You've got to forsake that and follow me and cling and hang on even when difficulty comes into our lives. Are we clinging? Powerful here. Ruth was glued to her mother-in-law and nothing and no one could send her away. And so in a crescendo of determination and commitment, Ruth pours out her heart to Naomi, and her words are legendary. In fact, it's interesting, you know, many people use these words here for their wedding vows. But Ruth proclaims them as a vow to her mother-in-law and ultimately as a vow to the Lord. Look at what Ruth vows in verses 16 and 17. She tells Naomi, entreat me. In other words, don't urge me to leave you. Or turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts you and me. Now, Liz, I'm telling you, these words are amazing here. And, and, you know, sometimes I wonder, man, how do we grasp what's going on, how amazing these words are, and understand what Ruth is pledging here. And so let me try to summarize her pledge of commitment in one sentence. It's coming up on the screen. Listen, Ruth pledged to abandon all her prior allegiances and to adopt Naomi's family and faith as her own in life, for life, and even beyond life. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. Because the more you ponder Ruth's words, the more amazing they become. Ruth's commitment to her destitute mother-in-law is astonishing on several levels here. First of all, it means leaving her own family and land. I don't know too many people that are willing to do that. Folks, listen. Do you realize that's what's, in a sense, why... What is so amazing, you know, next month when we come to our World Outreach Celebration and we, we're going to have basically a, a, a group of new missionaries that are getting ready to go out and leave their land and their family to take the gospel. Amazing. 
And for Ruth, it means leaving her own family and land. Second, it means, as far as she knows, she's committing to a life of widowhood and childlessness, and I will be content with that, because Naomi has no more sons to give to her in marriage. Third, it means going to an unknown land with new people and a new customs and new language. And fourth, it was a commitment even more radical than marriage when she says, where you die, I will die and be buried. In other words, Ruth will never return home even if Naomi dies before her. But the most amazing commitment of all is when Ruth says, your God will be my God. Think about it. Naomi had just said to Ruth in verse 13, the hand of the Lord has what? Gone out against me. Naomi's experience of God is what? It's all bitterness. He's left me empty in my life. But in spite of this, Ruth forsakes her religious heritage and background and makes the God of Israel her God. I don't know, perhaps Ruth had made this commitment years before when when her husband had told her of God's greatness and goodness in in the delivery out of the the bondage of Egypt, and when they came to the Red Sea and God performed the great miracle and led them into the promised land. Man, these stories were told over and over again. Maybe Ruth came to faith at that point. We don't know. Somehow or other, here's what we know. Ruth had come to trust in Naomi's God in spite of Naomi's own bitterness toward God. And so Ruth responds with determination. And oh, how does Naomi respond to her determination? Naomi says nothing. (laughs) How do you like that? Absolutely nothing. Her determination puts silence in Naomi's mouth. Verse 18 tells us, when she, that is Naomi, saw that she, Ruth, was determined to go with her, she what? Stop speaking. In other words, Naomi got the point. There's no change in this woman's mind. Naomi finally sees. Ruth is determined that nothing, not even death, will separate her from Naomi. And at the center of her commitment to Naomi is a commitment to Naomi's God. So with Ruth's decision to follow Naomi and her God worth it, was this decision worth it? Man, absolutely. It's always worth it to turn to God and trust Him. Why? Because God is at work in the worst of times. You could say Ruth was at the bottom of the barrel in her life, and yet that's where she found the grace of God at work in her life. At the bottom of the barrel. Now let me expound and just, you know, I want us to notice quickly here what Ruth found exactly at the bottom of the barrel in God's grace, because she finds a lot. Notice, first of all, Ruth found a new direction in life. In the land of Moab, Ruth had wandered and strayed in the path of false religion and false gods. She's gone from one religious experience to another, and yet her life is absolutely empty, meaningless. But now she knows that there is peace and blessing, contentment and joy to be found by following the God of Israel. And so she testifies that she has found a new direction for her life, and that is where she is going to walk. She found a new direction. Number two, she found a new place to belong. A new place to belong. Now, over the years, I have observed a, uh, 
a, a truth about human nature. And, I, and I'm sure some of you have made the same observation uh, about human nature. And that is, people, at least most people, want a place to belong. Have you noticed that? Most of us here, either co-workers, your neighbors, we, as human beings, we want a place to belong to. And where I've made this observation, believe it or not, of all places, is Starbucks. Uh, I frequent Starbucks quite frequently. Um, in fact, uh, every Monday morning I go there. And uh, I go to the one on Berry Road there at Boardwalk Square. And then a lot of times on Tuesday mornings I'll go to the one over by my mom and dad's house on Antioch and Prospect kind of over there and, and study. And it's just interesting. I've been doing this now for probably two years, maybe longer. I don't know. And, it, and it's amazing. At both places, you've got two different groups of people that come in. But yet it's always the same people for most, most of the part, the same group of people that come in at the same time, the same day. And why? And they come together and they converse and they talk and they gather together with family or friends over coffee. For them, Starbucks has become their place of community. Starbucks has become their, their place to belong, if you will. And this is exactly what Naomi found or what Ruth found with Naomi and her people. She found a place to belong, except there was one big difference. God's presence was dwelling with God's people. And that is why she wanted to be with Naomi and her people in the land of Judah, because she knew, hey, that's where, if not in the land of Moab, but in the land of Judah, where she would find the Lord and His blessing, because the blessing of the Lord is on the habitation of the righteous according to Proverbs 3.33. Listen, today, get this, this is so cool. Today, do you know what God's answer is for our longing for a place to belong? It's not Starbucks, by the way. It's not the local club, bar, tavern, whatever the case may be, wherever you hang out. God's answer to our human yearning for a place to belong is the church the local church. This is where God dwells. And the Bible teaches that God dwells with His people. So if we want to find Him and dwell with Him, then we will gather with His people. Today, the church is God's answer to our need for a place to belong. So if you're looking for a place to belong, a place where God's presence dwells, then gather together with God's people, and can I even add, especially in a small group. Awesome place to belong. And to quote, do life together. Where somebody knows your name. More than just your name, but what's going on in your life. And they can be there to pray for you, to support you, to encourage you. And you have a place where you can kind of share a little bit. Even though isn't that the biggest dichotomy of human nature as well. Because while we all yearn to be known and to know others in community, we have this sin nature within us that wants to isolate when we have junk going on in our lives. And we want to hide instead of reveal. And isn't that the tension and the struggle that we go through as human beings? We want people to know us. I want people to know me, and I want to know others. And yet at the same time, when my life isn't going right, 
I isolate when that is the most when we need to be in the place where we belong. Like a small group. So if you're not a part of one, let me encourage you. And you know what? Small groups aren't perfect. Why? Well, because one, I'm there. You're there. It's filled with humanity, and humanity is nothing but sin and selfishness. But we're all in the same boat, aren't we? And thank God that he can redeem my sin and my selfishness. And when I'm yielding to his word and his spirit, listen, there are hopefully the fruit of the spirit can come out of my life and encourage somebody in my group. And I understand all this can take place beyond a group too. But it's a great place, a place to belong. Number three, Ruth found a new people to love. When Ruth told Naomi, your people shall be my people, she said that from the depth of her heart. And get this, she didn't even know these people yet. She was a stranger to these people. And at this point, they were strangers to her. And yet she told, she said she loved them. Her heart went out to the people of God. Now what's interesting here is that a Moabite in this culture, that culture of Naomi's, a Moabite was always considered a Moabite wherever they were living. And indeed... What's interesting, you read the rest of the book of Ruth, Ruth is referred to throughout the story as Ruth the Moabite or Moabitess. But folks, get this. From her point of view, from what's going on in her heart, in her mindset, listen, she is becoming an Israelite by joining herself to God and His people. She is becoming part of the community of God, the people of God, because she's joining herself to the God of those people, Jehovah, Almighty God, and to His people. Again, this has application for us today. Does it not? Sure it does. Think about it. Today, baptism in membership is what defines or it's the defining marks that we're committed to God and His people. How do you know somebody's a true believer? And they're committed to God, and not just to God, but to God's people. One, they're not ashamed to proclaim it an identification with Christ and His people through baptism and even through membership with a local body of believers. It's what sets us apart. You're like, well, how do I become a member? I'm glad you asked. Because we got our No 101 class coming up in, at the end of October and the first three Sundays of November. It's four Sundays long. If you haven't come, gone through it, I encourage you to sign up on the back table and learn how you can identify with God and His people in a local body of believers through membership and baptism if you haven't already been baptized. It's a great place to belong. And, of course, I'm a little biased. I think Glenwood... It's one of the better places to belong to. Right, Jeremy? Hey, thank you, Bill. I hope the rest of you feel the same way. Number four, Ruth found a new God to worship. Remember, Ruth grew up worshiping the false gods of the Moabites, but now she's found the true and living God of the Israelites to worship. And as we learned last Sunday, this is a God who is great. And in His greatness, He is gracious and He is good. And so Ruth found a new God to worship. Number five, Ruth found a new peace in her heart. Ruth tells Naomi, where you die, I will die. 
and there will I be buried. In other words, not even death held fear for her anymore. The prospect of dying and being buried in Judah was not a terror to her. She was more afraid of going back to Moab than facing death in Judah. Why? Because she knew that when it came time for her to die, listen, she would rest her head on the pillow of God's promises and hope. I think you would agree with me. It's a serious thing to die, is it not? I mean, we hear about death every day. Many of us know people who have died just recently. Death is a serious thing. But folks, listen to me. It's even more serious to die without the peace of God in your heart. To die without knowing where you will spend eternity. In fact, the Bible tells us that that the people, God's people, who know Christ as their Savior have a hope in their death. What kind of hope do you have when you face death? I love what Job says in Job 19, 25 and 26. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Do you know that? And he goes on and says, and even after my skin is destroyed in my flesh, I will see God. Now, I don't know about you, but this just, man, just, it's like, wow. This is amazing. I mean, think about this. Ruth was at the bottom of the barrel in life. It couldn't get any worse for her. And yet, that is exactly where she found God's grace at work in her life. You see, Ruth is proof that God is not dead. Ruth is proof that God is not distant. Ruth is proof that God is at work in the worst of times to accomplish His good purposes in our life. Do you believe that? I hope so after seeing what God is doing through her. Ruth's conversion is evidence of the sovereign grace of God at work. Just just think about this with me for a moment here. Everything within her, everything around her, presented obstacles to her faith. And yet Ruth trusted God for her salvation. Listen, her background was against her. What is she? She, She's a nobody. She's an outsider. She was from Moab where they worship false gods. Her circumstances were against her. She was a widow without any support. She could have said, listen, if that's how God of Naomi treats Naomi and me, Why follow him? And even her mother-in-law was against her. Naomi tried to urge Ruth to do what? Go back to your land, your family, and your false gods. But God, in his grace and in his power and his goodness, what did he do? He intervened and graciously saved Ruth in spite of all these obstacles. Oh, how God delights in showing his grace and goodness to people. And how often he shows it to the least likely of people in the least likely of places. Ruth, get this, she is proof that God is not dead and he's not distant. He has not abandoned you. 
God is at work in the worst of times in order to accomplish His good purposes. So the question becomes, in light of this, in light of these powerful truths, in light of God working in Ruth's life in the worst of times, how then should I respond to my own disappointments in life? And who here hasn't gone through disappointments? Some of yours are much greater than others. And if you're like, I haven't gone through a whole lot, you just wait. God will lead you through them. So how should we respond then in light of what we're learning here? How can we find grace at the bottom of our own barrel? Notice this. Here's how we respond. You respond to your disappointments with life with, and I know it's so simple, but it's so true, with faith in God. With faith in God that sees beyond present bitter setbacks. You respond with trust in God that sometimes defies conventional thinking. Listen to me. Focus here, and we'll be done here in just a couple minutes. If God is great, if God is good, and if God is at work in the worst of times, then trusting God with my situation, trusting God with all my life, is the most sensible thing you can do. To do anything less doesn't make any sense at all. To try to direct our own lives according to our limited, worldly, conventional wisdom is the most foolish thing we can do. If, if God is great, God is good, and God is at work in the worst of times. God comes to us and he reminds reminds us of, in his own words, in Jeremiah 29, 1, for I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And you say, well, what's the proof? How do I know? Listen, the ultimate proof of what God has already done for us is through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate proof that we can trust God with our lives. It is the ultimate proof that God is great, He is good, He is gracious, and He is powerful to work in the worst of times. When He died for our sins and rose again to reconcile us to Himself. So what does all this mean for us right now at this moment in our lives? It means each of us needs to identify where we're really at. It means we need to be honest with God. Am I like Oprah? Yeah, we could say that too. Am I like Orpah? Or am I like Ruth? Which one describes my life now? Listen, like Orpah and Ruth, there was nothing kosher about us when we were born. We were by nature objects of God's wrath. 
As Paul puts in Ephesians 2.1, we were dead in our trespasses and sins without hope. And so right now, all of us, we need to be saved. We need to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. We need to be born again in order to enter in the kingdom of God, as Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3. Like Orpah and Ruth, we cannot simply slide into God's kingdom and eternal life with him. We must respond by faith to God's goodness and grace demonstrated in his son's death and resurrection. In essence, it comes down to this, folks. We must choose either the way of Ruth, which is the way of faith in Christ, or we must choose the way of Orpah, which in reality is the way of the world. That's the crossroad. And the simple question this morning is, what have you chosen? What road, what path are you walking down at this moment in your life? Has you come a point in time in your life where you have come to the place where, man, I, I, I need salvation and I need it beyond me. I need Jesus Christ. I need his gospel, and I want to respond to it. Or are you still like Orpah? Have you turned back? Listen, perhaps God here right now is is working on you. He's tugging at your heart because you know there's no evidence that I'm a child of God. I don't know God as my Savior because I've never responded to the gospel by faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm certainly not growing in any relationship. Listen, now's the time to respond. Now is the time to, to do something about it and respond to God's grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ with your heads bowed. Let me encourage you to do that right now. Zach's going to come. He's going to sing. A song, and as he is, let me encourage you. If, if you're like Orpah and you haven't responded to the gospel by faith, then do so. You can do that through a simple prayer of crying out to the Lord and asking Him to save you, repenting of your sin, and by faith, confessing your sin and trusting Christ to save you and forgive you of your sinning and to enter into God's family, His eternal family. Maybe... Maybe you're a believer already, but you've wandered far from the path. And you just need to realign your life. Now would be the time to respond to that as well. As Zach sings.